0: good evening and welcome to another episode of Straight Talking English. As ever I am your host Catherine and I will be talking to you today about women in Macbeth, namely Lady Macbeth. If you're interested in this and you think Macbeth is super cool then check out my revision guides Chopping Up Shakespeare and Context Comics available on Tez and straighttalkingenglish.com. So, if there was a question that I got asked, probably more than anything else other than, why do I have to study this? It is, what's up with Lady Macbeth? If I then say, like, oh, what do you know about Jacobean women? The person will pretty much say the same sort of things like women weren't expected to behave like that. And that is far too simplistic an answer. Come on, we can always go deeper when it comes to the context. So Lady Macbeth is this fantab- fantabulously, fabulously divisive figure. She is ambitious, she is pushy, she knows what she wants. But what wouldn't how would an audience react to this? like, is she normal? is she surprising? And the answer is, well, yeah, she is unusual, but not totally alien to Jacobean understanding. So from the very start, from Act 1, Scene 5, where Lady Macbeth is introduced, we are aware that she is intelligent. And the reason we know she's intelligent is because she's reading a letter. I mean, duh. But she's reading a letter from Macbeth, from her dearest partner of greatness. Would that be unusual? Well, it's, a bit simple to say like well people couldn't read and write back then. And kind of there is a bit of truth in that. It's reckoned that only about 5 to 10% of women overall during this period were literate. But that doesn't mean the what was I going to say? That is weird. That's a weirdly misleading figure because for a noble woman like Lady Macbeth, it would be fairly normal to be literate. So two of the biographies that I drew on to research this episode were of some really really cool very strong women who could be an inspiration for Lady Macbeth. Sarah Gristwood's biography of Arbella Stewart says that actually she was fluent in French, Italian and classical languages. She was taught to ride out with hawk and hounds as well as to embroider to sing to play the lute and viol. Like, it's not unusual for Lady Macbeth to be an intelligent single-minded woman. That said, um, women wouldn't be admitted to university. The Jacobean courtier Thomas Overbury said that books are part of a man's prerogative. They're not for girls. And in fact a contemporary lady who was Elizabeth Jocelyn When she died, she specified what a girl should be taught because she was expecting to die in childbirth. And if her daughter survived, she said, I desire her bringing up to be learning the Bible, as my sisters do. Good housewifery, writing, and good works. Other learning a woman needs not. So the intelligent courtier side of Lady Macbeth is not really that surprising. Another thing I get quite a lot is that she's unusual because women were expected to be submissive and supportive. And overall, yeah, that was kind of the cultural expectation. But, Elizabeth I, who remember has only been off the throne for three years by the time Macbeth has written, was apparently absolutely terrifying. When she got into a rage, one of her ambassadors said, when i see her enraged against any person whatever i wish myself in calcutta fearing her anger like death itself oh my gosh like honestly i would not want to get involved that sounds horrible that sounds like some of the worst like principles i've ever worked with just laying into you no but that said i mean there's two sides to every story women while expected to play the supporting role were also legally the property of their husband after they were married and their father before marriage so not expected to own property earn independent wealth legally someone else the man in their life would be responsible for them unless you were a widower so if you were married and husband passed away then you would have some measure of control you'd have some measure of complexity in your life. Speaking of getting married while legally you could get married at 12 most people didn't marry till much later the average age was about 21 and our definition of engagement is a bit different think of it as just saying I promise this will happen later. So if there's two families who are friends then it'd be like oh when they grow up we should sort them out to get married. Not necessarily engagement as we see it now where it's the culmination of a relationship, it may be sexual, nah think of it more as a contractual agreement. So Lady Macbeth as well as being educated if she's used to this measure of power she could be a widow she's definitely noble to have married into the royal family and has grown up with this element of privilege that in itself is controversial because james I, we kind of see at the start of his reign what's called a more misogynistic term when it came to women in power james himself said Treat a wife as your own flesh, command her as a lord, cherish her as your helper, rule her as your pupil. Ye are the head, she is your body, it is your office to command and hers to obey. And don't forget, as I mentioned before, he's a bit weird. He grew up in this male-dominated cult away from his mother. A lot of his philosophy comes from this guy called John Knox who was definitely knocking around at the time James was growing up. But the big thing that he's known for today, if you Google him, is a pamphlet he wrote called The First Blast of the Trumpet Against the Monstrous Regiment of Women. The literal translation because it was written in Latin is The Unnatural Rule. And he says, God, by the order of his creation, has deprived women of authority and dominion. Their sight but blindness, their strength weakness their counsel foolishness if it be rightly considerate who can deny it? but it be repugnant to nature that the blind shall be appointed to read and conduct such as do see so with Macbeth as a reflection of James's turn in thought the we can see influenced by not then we've got this we're back to this idea of Lady Macbeth's ambition as being like a harbinger of evil she is part of this unnatural setting It comes back to chaos and order, the natural order versus the supernatural, the unnatural. Knox's ideas were listened to and from what we can tell James went along with quite a lot of it. Maybe that is playing into this theme of the supernatural. Thinking back to ambition as well, women aren't violent, women aren't ambitious. But think about the lady I mentioned earlier, Arbella Stewart. So after Elizabeth I died, there was a number of people who had an equal claim through different parts of her family to being the next monarch. If it wasn't James I, it would have been this lady called Arbella Stuart. She said, I shall spit my tongue in my torturer's fate. Lay the axe to the root of the tree in time and let me lose my head. This concealed truth which torture whom you list shall never find. Dramatic, yeah, but think about false face doth hide what false heart must show. This idea of violent falseness, of rebelling against the convention of never equivocating of always being true Arbella was ambitious absolutely she was owed a substantial birthright she had a really good claim to the throne and through elizabeth I and james basically send packing her off to the country and being like you wait there for a little bit except it's like her whole life she was frustrated she could have been the queen it would have been very very different for the writing of macbeth women are also so ambitious. And I just finished reading this book, it's called Shakespeare and the Countess by Chris Lutoris about this lady called elizabeth russell and the reason why i bring up elizabeth russell is because she was shakespeare's worst enemy and she tried to get him shut down and kicked out she stood up to the highest courts in the land to try and get what was owed to her as she fell through like being deprived of um, her title i'm owed this i'm taking this everywhere she's definitely the inspiration for some of the women in his plays and if you have read Twelfth Night. Malvolio is based on her son. It's half digs, half respect. She was intensely strong. And she is someone who we need to be considering as a potential role model. Think about the unsex me here speech. Unsex me here, the one that people just giggle at whenever I say in class, unsex me here. He he he, she said, that. Another fantastically strong woman of the slightly earlier period than Macbeth was called Bess of Hardwick. And this vile individual, Called Edmund Lodge. He's described as an antiquarian, which means like historical gossip person. Called her a woman of masculine understanding, proud, furious, selfish, and unfeeling. So back to the last proper episode I did about masculinity. If manliness is strength, then femininity must be weakness. To be strong is to be masculine. So when she says on sex me here it's another classic lady macbeth of inverting anything like I'm wishing to give up my identity. I want to give up what you think of me to achieve what I want. It's quite kind a of fab, isn't it? The other reference to masculinity and femininity by the way you might want to bring up is the witches have beards because obviously if you're a woman you're going to display these womanly virtues of which James I is promoting but the witches are not displaying their virtues they're satanic they're evil so they've got beards they're outwardly masculine it's kind of interesting isn't it Lady Macbeth would be religious as well everyone is religious Church going is mandatory, and if you're what's called a recusant, you're not going to Anglican church every week. You are in big trouble, fines later, and prison. Man. she would be doing this. Anyone who was um, a bit quiet about their faith was <sighs> problem. Obviously, we have examples of women who do sort of lead a double white, double life. Noticeably Anne of Denmark, James I's wife, privately Catholic, took services on her own, but outwardly displayed an acceptable faith. And it's interesting because um, it was only about 20 years after Macbeth was performed that it actually became seen as a supernatural play. Before then, it's very much a political play. And the relationship between women and faith is different depending on whether you're Church of England or whether you're Catholic. So if you're Church of England, your husband, father, older brother, whatever, the male head of your household, is responsible for your faith. As a woman, you're supposed to take guidance from the man. So if you don't go to church, it's their fault. But there's (laughs) something, Oh gosh, I'm going to really display my ignorance now. Something in Catholicism that says that each person is responsible for their own faith. So women have an equal stake in the religion. And the reason I should know more about this actually is I had an ex-boyfriend whose mum was in the Legion of Mary, the old super hardcore women's wing of the Catholic Church and met the Pope. And I really should know more about that actually considering as I was with that guy for a year. And then we broke up because he wanted me to be vegan and I really wanted a Big Mac. Like I said in the last series, you are all my therapists. But if we're talking about Macbeth as being an analogy for treason, an analogy for the tension, the hidden world of the Catholics, she's ambitious, she's taking her own responsibility. Could that be a comment on the fact that Catholic women are taking their own responsibility here? There's also examples, uh, further on in the Gunpowder Plot, about Catholic women actively hiding priests. Actively concealing their faith, actively going against what the quote-unquote natural order is... Could this be... this was well known. Could this be something that Shakespeare's playing on with Lady Macbeth? Let's talk a bit about her love as well. Because, obviously, the dearest partner of greatness. And I've read somewhere that they are the only happy couple in Shakespeare's canon. No other couple consistently sticks together. They don't break up. They don't have, like, a mission to be together. They're just content as a couple. And they are a team. The ideal is not an unsanctioned Romeo and Juliet passion, but a growth into connubial affection, says Griswold. You want to have this opposite between devotion and romantic passion. You want to have less of like a physical longing I must be near them, and more like a deep spiritual connection. And you can argue that's what the Macbeths have. They are always somewhat on the same page. It may well be arranged by family, of course, if she's of noble birth. Indeed, uh, the Duchess of Malthy was another really popular play at the time, and the main character the Duchess says the misery of us that we are born great, we are forced to woo because none dare woo us. Life is not gonna hand it to you if you're a rich and powerful woman, you've got to go out there and get it, which is very Beyonce, I must say. She's expected to be content with her status. The ambition, Bummest smoke of hell that she calls upon. It's scary, it's anathema, it's worrying. But by the other turn, she is also an expert at household management. While Macbeth is on campaign, she would be expected to be running his lands in his stead, which is so again concerning. Everything seems to tie together with these things. Women, especially women on their own, so husbands not there or they're single, are vulnerable to becoming women. Due to the fact They are very sexual their strong personalities And their lack of guidance from a man So what it comes down to is Is Lady Macbeth that surprising? Well no not really This wouldn't be the first time A contemporary audience would have seen At least the stereotype Of an ambitious evil woman Most of them have grown up under a queen They'd be familiar with Arbella Stewart Her name was everywhere If they were in London They would have heard of Elizabeth Russell They know these characters and the downfall of someone getting above themselves isn't That's surprising it's enjoyable because we love to see the bad guy get what's coming to them but it wouldn't be especially shocking it would be something kind of removed from your life something you might judge but not something that's you know hannibal lecter (gasps) how could this happen Mm, is she typical overall for a jacobean woman nah if you're poor you'd be growing up probably in service to someone which means you'd be acting as like their maid or their housekeeper like but she's rich she's not that unusual to be intelligent to be educated is her religion unusual well yeah she'd be expected to toe the line in public and maybe some people in the audience would have had sympathy because she is calling on demonic spirits is her belief in spirits unusual nah nah not really a lot of the old superstitions still remained even though publicly they are condemned the one thing that is surprising and I'm coming back to this a bit later, is her childless status. To be a mother was the one thing that Arbella Stewart really craved. It's the happy marriage and the motherhood. And it's kind of seen as like the next stage of life. Like when people say to me like, oh, when are you and your boyfriend getting married? And I'm like, don't know. Like, guess if I'm not doing anything else on Saturday, because it's expected that, because I'm 32, I'm supposed to be married and it's expected that she would be a mother and that is the one thing that's surprising. The fact that she would throw the baby's head on the ground she would dash out the brains of an infant that bit's shocking but not that much else about her is beyond the pale so don't fall into the trap of being oh this is a shocking woman women are submissive blah 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 it's actually a really multifaceted story and it's one i've really enjoyed researching because there's a lot more going on than we'd really think about as ever there's always more going on than we'd think about to be honest that's like literally the story of the all these podcasts that's just like my whole life next time i'll be returning to you with what i've called rat reactions audience and tragedy so i'm going to be taking you through some of the interpretations some of the some of the scholarship surrounding macbeth how other people have seen it what we can base our views now on and i will be coming back to the idea of macbeth and Lady Macbeth being childless and that being a motivation that Shakespeare plays upon because teaser time Sigmund Freud weighs in on that one I kid you not he wrote a whole essay about it so thank you ever so much for listening straighttalkingenglish.com get your hands on some revision guides str 8 English on twitter and I think that's all the things I do Uh, Facebook I'm on Insta as well, I'll post up pictures of a witch kissing the devil's bum and I will be back with you shortly to talk about what Freud has to think of Lady Macbeth.